I'll say, bless the Lord, if you say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Welcome to Kairos tonight. We're glad that you are here. My name's Michael Boggs. I'm one of the worship leaders here at Kairos. Uh, and if you're wondering if that's curious or not, that I'm about to start teaching, uh, it's because Chris Brooks, our pastor, is not here uh, tonight. He's in South Africa with his oldest son, doing something fun, mildly inappropriate probably, uh, but meaningful at the same time. And that's one of the reasons that we love him. And so uh, pray for him while he's gone and, and having to spend some time in South Africa. But uh, I'm one of the worship leaders here. Usually I'm up here, like I said, with a guitar in my hand. Um, and so some of you may not have a chance to, uh, we might not had a chance to talk much maybe, or had a chance to get to know each other. And uh, so just so you know, I, my name is Michael. I'm from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Grew up in a little town called Berry Hill, Oklahoma. And I uh, wanted to go play sports in college, baseball and football, had a scholarship. Uh, about a week before three a day started, I ended up going to Bible college that didn't have a football team, and our baseball team was 11 and 60, which is not a good record. Um, but, uh, but it was there that I discovered uh, my love for music. And uh, I was actually going to study theology, and uh, I was with one of my mentors one night, and I had a chance to move to Nashville at this point with a, and, and uh, join a band. And, and uh, I was really struggling with whether I should do that or not. And um, he said to me, he said, Michael, I think you should. And I said, you know, out of all my mentors that I've talked to about this, you're the only one that's told me I should do it. Why is it? And he said, Michael, you're still going to write sermons. They're just going to be about three and a half minutes long, and they're going to have a melody to it. And that's been some of the best advice I've ever been given. I moved to Nashville, did what every uh, parent wants their kid to do, dropped out of college, joined a band. Um, <laughs> which is really fun, uh, and spent the next eight years of my life traveling with a band called FFH, and eventually we stopped traveling together. One of the guys in our band got sick, and I started uh, traveling a little bit myself, but really at that point got involved with this wonderful fledgling ministry that had 30 people in it called Kairos. And we met on the other side of this campus uh, in a, a room that the lights were held together by duct tape and bubble gum, and uh, it was not nearly this nice, but that was the genesis of this thing called Kairos. That was 12 years ago. It's amazing to see um, what God has done. And the fact that you're here tonight is evidence of the work that he's doing. So I am glad to be here. Uh, a couple of disclaimers. One, uh, as I stated earlier, I'm not the teaching pastor. I'm the worship pastor here. So uh, I'm going to do my best to tell you what God is teaching me. All right. The second thing is to even up the score, I've asked Chris Brooks to lead worship next week. So be looking forward, be looking forward to that. Uh, he's got some moves I think he's wanting to showcase, so it's going to be fun. So um, true confession, all right? I want more joy. In 2018, I want more joy. Before I knew I was preaching on joy tonight, before I even knew I was preaching tonight, Several months ago, I wrote in my journal, I want more joy. Not the kind of joy that's manufactured, 
manipulated or minuscule. I want the kind of joy that's contagious, that's compelling, that's celebratory and complete. I want the kind of joy that involves my feelings but isn't reliant on them. I want the kind of joy that can worship in the darkness, staring down the most difficult times of my life and say, even though it's not well with my circumstances, it can be well with my soul. I want more joy. So the first place that I started to research, or at least one of the places that I started to research was songs. I'm a worship leader, music speaks to me. So I wanted to see, you know, what kind of songs do we sing in church that talk about joy? Um, And there's a, a company called CCLI that tracks Uh, songs that churches sing the most often. And so I looked through the first 25, didn't see any songs about joy. Looked through the first 50, didn't see any songs with joy in the title. Save you the rest of the story. I get all the way to 100. Never saw a song with joy in the title or a song that was centered around joy in the top 100 songs that churches all across America sing. In the top 50, I found the word joy mentioned twice, One of those uh, was in a song that we sing here called, Oh, Come to the Altar, Bring Your Sorrows and Trade Them for Joy, and a song that we don't sing much anymore uh, called Trading My Sorrows. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. I also found, you guys, some of you remember that song? Yeah? Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yeah, all right. I'll get out of the way. You guys gotta start singing. There is one song that we do sing consistently, um, but it's only at Christmas time. It's called Joy to the World. And really that particular song is more about telling other people they should have joy rather than us expressing the joy in our hearts. I sat down with a group of about 20 people and asked them, who is the most joyful person that you know? And it was fascinating. Uh, several people said they're, they're kids or kids that they know. Um, kids are, are just a, a really obvious and amazing source of joy. I have a little boy named Nash, and he is absolutely joyful and brings joy. They also said senior adults, grandmas and grandpas, which, again, an amazing source of joy. But I found it a bit troubling that the people that everybody in that group said were filled with joy were either too young to know how the real world really is, or old enough to have lived through some of the consequences and hardships that life can give you. So either ignorance or experience was the prerequisite for joy in that scenario. But I don't know about you, it made me ask the question, what about those of us in the middle years? What about those of us that are here tonight that say, I want more joy too? Is there anything that speaks to us? I'm glad you asked that question, because there is. John chapter 15 is gonna be our text tonight. Um, If you would stand with me as we read this together. John chapter 15, verse nine. Don't miss this opening line. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments 
and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I'll say the word of the Lord. You say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Amen. You get to have a seat. Did you guys, did you catch it? Reading through it the first time? It took me a couple of times to catch it. But John is essentially saying that joy is linked to obedience. Did you guys catch that? Let's read it one more time, starting in verse 10 this time. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Uh, we're going to work with the definition tonight just for the sake of this talk, and it's a definition for joy that I want us to try, to try to understand. If you guys can go ahead and put that up on the screen for us. Joy is the evidence of love. Can you guys say that with me? Joy is the evidence of love. All right, that's the first part. That's the first part. Joy is the evidence of love. All right, here's the second part. Expressed in obedience. Yeah, some of you just frowned. I, it physically came across your face. <laughs> expressed in obedience. Joy is the evidence of love expressed in obedience. That's right. Joy, the evidence of love expressed in obedience. Now, I don't know if, if, that, if you have the same reaction to that as, as I did when I first found that here I am, I'm on the trail to find joy, and stop number one is love connected to obedience before we ever get to joy. And it, that raked across my soul in a way that made me uncomfortable. And here's the reason why. One, one of the reasons I think that's the case for not just me, but for many of us, is obedience is a tough sell in 2018. I mean, if anything, we want to obey ourselves. Like, whether healthy or not, the desires that we have we're taught to indulge in in the culture that we live. We don't want to obey anybody else, much less the requirements that God has for us in obedience. But I think it's possible that I misunderstood the heart of God related to obedience. And here's what I mean by that. I think God wants something from us because ultimately he wants something for us. God wants something from us, our obedience, because ultimately he wants something for us. Joy is among those things. And, you know, I remember it was just about two years ago, Keely walked out in the garage and showed me something that would change the rest of our lives. We actually have a picture of it, I think, Tonight, if you guys want to show, show that. Yeah, that's a pregnancy test right there. It's actually a little bit gross now that I'm seeing it up there on the big screen. Uh, but it says pregnant two to three weeks. And we, I was ecstatic. I, I was in the garage uh, and I was working on something and I came over to where she was and I picked her up and I hugged her and we celebrated and we finally caught our breath. We panicked. We're like, oh my gosh, 
we're about to be parents. And so we did what parents normally do at this stage of the game. We called the doctor and wanted to visit with the doctor. And, and I mean, we peppered that doctor with questions, all right? I mean, we, it, it was a little bit embarrassing how many questions we asked this doctor. I mean, and there's a lot of stuff to know about being a parent, right? It's like you sign up for some email list and they tell you every week, your baby's the size of a plum. You know, it's like, Oh, awesome, your baby's the size of a pomegranate. You know, it's like you're supposed to talk to the baby at a certain, uh, at a certain set of weeks because they can recognize and hear your voice. And I mean, your baby's supposed to listen to classical music. I don't even know any classical music. You know, like, is Luke Bryan classical? I don't know. <laughs> I only say that because it's Matt Morris's favorite artist. So uh, <laughs> those of you that know Matt know that that is a joke, yes. Um, but we did, it, it was, I mean, we, we peppered this doctor with questions and she was very strict and gave us lots of uh, rules to follow and things to follow and we followed all of them uh, because we wanted bet the best chance at having the baby that God wanted us to have. And we got one of these at the end of the doctor's appointment. Yes, it's like, who knows what that is? It's like a little bean there on the sonogram. But uh, that's our little nugget uh, right there. And so we had an amazing time uh, just getting to know uh, our son and doing our best to learn, learn about him. But somewhere in the pregnancy, about 26 weeks along, something started going wrong. And, um, and it was up and down uh, in the hospital for four weeks, uh, four different times throughout the pregnancy. Um, there's a picture of uh, my beautiful wife right there. As you can tell, she is uh, not super excited um, to have been back in the hospital. But then we go to, we actually come home, we go to a routine doctor's appointment. And uh, just to get a sonogram, the doctor says, you need to get to the hospital because today is the day. So we have a picture of that. Unfortunately, uh, there I am. And uh, yes, my shirt says Johnny, Willie, Waylon, and Hank, uh, representing the Church of Country Music, I guess, uh, that day. Uh, but we're about to have a baby. And uh, a few hours later, uh, my beautiful wife um, and I had this little boy who I'll be holding in the next picture. That's uh, little Michael Nash Boggs, who is uh, sleeping, and then we took this picture of him at Christmas this year, that's who he is now. So he's, uh, he's my little buddy. But I tell you that story to tell you that, that we followed everything the doctor asked us to do as best as we could, because at the end of the day, we wanted the best chance at having the child God wanted us to have. We obeyed the doctor, and the doctor gave us instructions or principles or pathways because she wanted something for us. And if we understand obedience in this context, that it's not a cosmic dictator who derives pleasure from our pain, but it is a loving God who is wise, who is helpful, who is kind. In this context, we see obedience is the germination for joy. But going back to that definition earlier, that joy is the evidence of love expressed in obedience. Now, I don't know if you're like me, you would, you would look at that definition. And, and what we tend to do is be really good at one or the other. Some of us are all about love. We're all about love and not obedience. I mean, we're the first person to raise our hand in worship. We are the first people to say amen in a service like this. We love and take care of people really well. We'll say things like, love, don't judge. 
But when it comes to obedience in regards to healthy spiritual disciplines, like reading our Bible, praying consistently, or being in a small group where we can be vulnerable with people and they can be vulnerable with us, we're often anemic, we're weak, and we're full of excuses why we won't commit to healthy disciplines like that. On the other hand, some of us can be about all obedience and no love. And these people, I can be in this category as well. I mean, these are the kind of people that they love rules and they function in that, in rules really well, okay? They uh, are reliable people. Um, oftentimes, though, they can be seen as legalistic. Um, they like rules sometimes more than they like relationships because relationships are messy, And it's not, people sometimes don't even like being around them. And it's not because they're too holy. It's because there's a hole in their gospel in the way that they love God and other people. So we can be all about love and not obedience or all about obedience and not love. And you may be here tonight and you say, you know what, I'm doing pretty good in both those categories. I'm holding in tension those two things pretty well. Maybe what's stealing your joy tonight is that obedience to you is really compliance. You're mistaking compliance for obedience. Let me tell you, give you an example of what I mean by that. I was watching a lady take a dog for a walk the other day, and this is a big dog. It was on a leash, and if you had saw the same scene that I did, you would say, this dog is taking this woman for a walk. You know, I mean, the dog was like way out in front of her and then it was way back behind her and then it was off to the side and this poor woman is just being sort of jerked about uh, as she's trying to take this dog for a walk. And what I realized is that if that leash wasn't there, that dog was gone. And oftentimes I wonder if it's not like that with us, that we're much more comfortable with compliance than obedience. Let me give you an example. Compliance says, I want to get as close to the line of sin as I can. Obedience says, I want to get as close to God as I can. Compliance says, I will give God my regulated actions. Obedience says, I will give God my heart. Compliance may be a reason that your joy is being stolen. And then lastly, and I'll close with this. Some of us may have heard me tell that story about Nash a second ago, and, um, and you may say, well, that's all well and good for you, Boggs, but um, it's, not worked like, it's not worked out like that for me. I lost a baby. I have some friends here tonight, but that's a reality for them. Some of you may say, well, I'm not even to the baby part yet. I just, a boyfriend, a girlfriend that eventually leads to a spouse, that's where I'm at. Like, that's what I want. And I want to acknowledge and validate um, those thoughts and fears tonight, but I also want to tell you that it's possible that joy and sorrow can coexist together. Now, this is something that, um, that I think has is, is been revolutionary in my life, to see that both of those things can coexist and actually usually do coexist together. I was holding the hand of my father when he passed away. We were all standing around his uh, bed and singing songs, singing hymns and worship songs. And I was running through the list in my head of all the times of joy and all the times of sorrow that we experienced together. Um, One of the times of joy was when I was 
uh, 13 years old, and we got in a Lincoln Town car, and, and it was my aunt's, and we borrowed that car and drove all the way to Kosciuszko, Mississippi from Berry Hill, Oklahoma, and played in the Little League World Series. And uh, believe it or not, as fate would have it, our team won that, that, that series. And um, I just had so much fun with my dad on that trip. But then there were times of sorrow, too. Um, one of the times when uh, I was going to college and, and I was so excited about going and playing football and baseball in college, and, and uh, that summer I worked for a church and interned at a ch- as a church as a youth pastor, and God began, began to change my heart, and I gave up that scholarship and went to Bible college instead, and my dad didn't talk to me for six weeks because he thought I was making the wrong decision. But standing around his bed that day, saying goodbye, my heart had never been ex- exposed to that kind of grief, to that kind of sorrow. It's the kind of sorrow that crushes your heart. I'd never felt pain that deep before or since. Yet at the same time, I felt an immense amount of joy. And the joy came from the fact that my dad was free. He was free from cancer. He was free from emphysema and COPD, which he had had for years. He was free from a weak body that he literally willed to work every day. He was free in the presence of Jesus that he had lived for and sang to for the better half of his life. Joy and sorrow existed together at the same time. And some of you tonight, you just... You just need permission to feel joy amidst the pain. It's not disingenuous to be joyful in your sorrow.